Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, and the number three after, and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, and the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you for your support. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is no stranger to the squared circle. He is most remembered for his signature move, the Russian sickle, and his fuse with Magnum TA, the Four Horsemen, and the Road Warriors. His many accomplishments include winning the NWA United States title, NWA World Six-Man Tag Team titles, NWA World Tag Team titles, and the NWA World Television Championship. He was also awarded the Frank Gotch Award in 2006 and was inducted in the NWA Hall of Fame in 2008. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on Bumps and Thumps. Brian (laughs) Shatoitar. It's great to be with you. Uh, I love the name, Bumps and Thumps. I took a few of those, a few bumps, and I have a few thumps on my noggin uh, as well. Thanks for having me on with you. Thank you for joining us, sir. I really appreciate it, and it's such an honor. Uh, When I asked you and you responded so quickly and said, yes, of course, I was just, you know, I just went back to my, when I was a kid watching you on TV and your feuds with, Rick Flair, Magnum TA, and your the accent that you had. And I, in fact, yeah. I listened the other day when you were talking to a woman on your show on your podcast, Man Up, about a woman that drove a few hours to see you to get your autograph, and she really thought you were Russian. She was speaking to you in Russian, and you told her that I'm not really Russian, and she left. She was so furious. Yeah, she got she got mad. She went from a glow. To 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 a scowl in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was just a few years ago. You, you know, I like to think you know with the internet, people people now know. I don't I don't I don't know that I have a Russian uh, red cell in my body, but you know that's who I personified and that's who I portray. So I I took it as a compliment that all these years she she still thinks I, I or up to that point she still thought I was, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so many amazing stories, and you know we'll we'll get into all that and whatever 
whatever you'd like to chat about tonight. So sure. Well, thank you again. Uh, I'd like to get into you growing up. Uh, you're actually from Minnesota. Uh, if we could talk a little bit about how you grew up in Minnesota, your life as a child, and your schooling, we can get into that a little bit. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'd, I'd be be happy to share that, and you know, some. Some do, some don't know that part of the story, and and uh, I like to tell people this. You know, we'll we'll get bits and pieces of the story tonight and the time we have together. And yep. you know, if people want more, want to learn more about that, there's different ways they can do that. And if we have time, you know, with time at the end of the show, we'll be sure to share some of that. You know, information whether it's websites or you know books I've written and all that. But um, kind of the. Uh, Reader's Digest Digest version to that is uh, that's right. So Minneapolis, Minnesota, not Moscow, uh, <laughs> where I hail from, and uh, so it's not good English tutoring. It's just the fact that I didn't grow up in Russia, and and so Minneapolis, really, uh, what I affectionately call some very humble beginnings in in what I affectionately call the 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 projects or the ghettos of Minneapolis back in those days just right outside the Minneapolis skyline. And and the official name, I think, was Minneapolis Housing Authority. That sounds pretty official, doesn't it? But, it does. So those were, those were the humble beginnings uh, until the fifth grade. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was the youngest of four. Uh, my mom you know, raised four of us uh, basically on her own. My dad left when I was three years old. Didn't provide any any real financial support uh, or moral support, if you will. Uh, only have a recollection of. I don't know that I could count on one hand the number of times I remember being with them uh, until my college days, which I'll share that in a moment. Um, so in fifth grade, my mom was able to move us out of, out of the projects out to the a suburb of of Minneapolis called Robbinsdale, yeah. Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And where I would spend my my uh, my teen teenage years in, in there and uh, junior high and high school, uh, and then I would eventually graduate high school and and went not too far from home, just next door to Golden Valley, Minnesota, uh, where I attended a junior college, and, and it was actually a Bible college, Brian. But I tell people I didn't go to learn about Jesus. Uh, I went over there because I knew four out of the five coaches. And they were the they were the number one junior college team in the nation. Oh wow! Little Bible college with about five hundred students, and they were the number one JUCO team in the country. Wow! So that's the main reason I went, and because I knew some of the coaches. In fact, the defensive coordinator was my very first male mentor, Bill Burke. Okay. Uh, met him in seventh grade. He was my very first football coach. Wow! And under his wing, and began to you know just. He kind of knew the story. He knew I didn't have a dad and really embraced me and took care of me in those early days. And, and uh, so grateful that Bill did that. And so he was a big reason why I went to Golden Valley. Graduated with an associate of arts degree from there. Uh, there's more to that story, but they'll need to buy the book. Or, there you go. We'll <laughs> talk <story>. about that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and then from there, just from there, uh, transferred to Moorhead State University in northern Minnesota. Mm -hmm. There's actually two Moorheads. There's one in Kentucky, and there's one in Minnesota. And I transferred up there and was pursuing my college career up there, scouted by the NFL my, my senior year. Uh, 
had a couple major setbacks uh, on the football field and injury wise, but I like to say it didn't hold me back. I used that as motivation uh, for a really, it set me up for a comeback and, and was able to overcome those major injuries and, uh, and graduated from Moorhead with a, a bachelor of science in physical education wow. with minor in health and coaching. And so that's kind of the, skinny on uh, on my early beginnings and my education well that's that's great uh i grew up i'll just real quick i grew up in wisconsin i'm from rice lake wisconsin up by uh, chippewa falls eau claire that yeah. area yep yep uh, so uh i'm familiar you know, with the you're, areas you're talking about yeah you're a midwesterner as well and I, yeah. Uh, yeah not now i'm in kansas city but uh okay parents are still there but uh yeah so that, yeah because that, that went actually a little little more backstory Speaking of that, then um, I went to—I actually went to um, in high school. I went to River Falls College, University of Wisconsin River yep. Falls, for a summer camp. And and for the football fan out there, there were two twin brothers that kicked in the NFL: Matt Barr and Chris Barr. Back in the, I think one kick for the Bengals. I forget who the other kick for. Anyway, they used to do kicking camps. So. In high school, I was a punter. I was a kicker. Oh, wow. I played band. I played tight end. I did it all. Yeah. And, uh, back my sophomore year, I was the, the main the main uh, main kicker for our, for our varsity club, and uh, and I went to their camp in River Falls. Wow. And it, yeah, so so yeah, so I got a little Wisconsin uh, history in me as well. That's great. That's that's a good story. See, that's interesting. Uh you're starting in wrestling. Um, I did some little research. Um, it kind of just seems like you fell into it. I mean, you got contacted, but there's a lot of guys from Minnesota, Minneapolis, Robbinsdale area in your kind of your group that were just outstanding people and were trained by Eddie Sharkey. And yeah. And what was that experience like for you? So interesting. So here's an interesting uh, little detail about about that. Because um, there were, for those of your listeners that maybe don't know, there were there were actually, I'll say this, there were seven of us that came out of Robbinsdale right around the same period of time. Mm-hmm. Nine of us total that came out of Robbinsdale. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a bit in history back to the 1950s. Okay. And the man who eventually owned the AWA wrestling out of Minneapolis, Vern Anya. Yeah. And being from Wisconsin, you probably familiar oh, yeah. with wrestling and, yep. and the man who made Milwaukee famous, the crusher, right? Yes, sir. And, uh, and, but Vern was a graduate of Robbinsdale back in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And someone that, that people may not know this little bit of the story an announcer, a very famous announcer for AWA, for WWF, even for WCW. And, and want to take a stab at who that famous announcer would be? And, the, and your first two guesses don't count. <laughs> I was going to say Mean Gene. You, bing, you got it, bro. You got it. Yeah. Mean Gene Okerlund was a graduate of Robbinsdale as well. Yeah. And then along came... Myself, Crusher Khrushchev, aka Demolition, 
and many other characters. Yeah. Uh, Tom Zink, the Z-Man, Nord the Barbarian, Nord the Berserker, Brady Boone. Uh, he wrestles under another name as well. Uh, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, Ravishing Rick Rude. There was a bunch of us, right? And uh, I guess it was in the water. I don't know. Um, up there. It was in the water tower in Robbinsdale. I think so. But um, so a little known, uh, well, what seems to me a, a misconstrued fact is a good many of those guys did, in fact, go to Eddie Sharkey's camp, who you referred to. Yeah. Uh, Adam Hawk. Um, I think I think Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. I mean, there were a number of guys. Uh, I, I, I You probably know better than me who all went. But I'll tell you who did not go to Eddie Sharkey's camp, and that was Nikita Koloff. Really? Okay. I, for whatever reason, I don't know why that information is out there. I don't know. One interviewed Eddie, and he took credit for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, or or people just assume because I come out of Robbinsdale or I come out of Minneapolis that he trained me. But the the interesting part of my story, Brian, is when I the day I walked into Jim Crockett's office in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the phone call I had with him several months prior to walking into his office to make sure he knew. I had no amateur wrestling background, none, yeah. zero. And I had zero professional training. I had never even been in a ring wow. the day I walked into his office. So the the fascinating, I, I, I think, part of the story is I, I show up with him knowing that. He literally puts me, you know, he introduces me to Ivan Koloff, Don Cronodal, the world tag team champions, mm-hmm. says your new partner, Nikita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte in 1984. They literally put me on interviews for hours and then says, be in Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night, Dorton Arena, you're going to wrestle on television. So not only had I never been in a wrestling ring, I'd never been on television prior to that. Wow. There you go. That is amazing. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first started seeing you on TV on on TBS, I mean you were look nat- like a natural. I mean you had the you had the look, you had the abilities, you had the the, the accent. I mean you, yeah, I you had you had me fooled, and you had a lot of people fooled. Well, and, and I you know again I, again take that as a compliment, and uh, in many ways. Um, yeah. I will say this, I feel very fortunate that, um, that I, I, you know, I did have, I had the ability to be able to pull it off. Right. Or Hmm. I mean, if I hadn't had the ability, it it just, it wouldn't have happened. I I wouldn't have pulled it. Yeah. Uh, Which Ivan was very complimentary in many ways Mm -hmm. uh, and gets much of the credit along with Don Kernodal to, to what you just said that my ability to pull it off now you know, I would said many, many times, you know, you didn't pay your dues in, in a wrestling ring or in a, you know, small territories or anything like that. But yeah. you obviously paid your dues in, in, in the gym. Uh, and, you know, with my athletic ability, one little side note I didn't tell you that people might find interesting is graduating from Moorhead my senior year. Um, I was actually an academic All-American up there. So uh, oh, wow. I never Russian team, but I did make the All-American team, right? That's good to know. 
<laughs> That's a little little side note there. There you go. But um, but but Ivan and and Don, to their credit, so I, I was thrown into the fire, right? As you can, as you're hearing, yeah. like literally thrown into the fire, into the mix that first night, and then for the next two three months, we would get to towns two or three hours early. And they would, you know, your bumps and thumps. They would bump and thump all over the ring for me um, for a couple of hours. I'd have a very, very short match. Yeah. They world tag match. Ivan would sit in my corner. I would sit in their corner. And on the way home, we would talk about the old school psychology of wrestling, why they did what they did in their matches. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it was, it was trial by fire. And fortunately for me, I was, uh, I, you might say I was a, I was a, a good student and, and adapted rather quickly mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to, to your, to your comment. I was going to say, I mean, for learning on the road like that, you would have to have one, the athletic ability and two, the mind to be able to absorb that and do it so quickly and be able to perform like that because, it takes sometimes a person two or three years, even after wrestling camps, to get to even be in a show to and, and look like you know what you're doing. And so yeah. that's a tribute to you. I mean that that's that's very interesting. I never knew that. So that was that's great to know. Yeah. No, I I, I appreciate it. And, and again, and, and I want to emphasize, overemphasize to your listeners. I was very fortunate. I, I worked in some of your old school listeners may recognize some of these names. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have a, you know, most nights I had a squash match, right? I mean, it was a minute long. It was two minutes. It was not long. It, it would be against sometimes two guys. I'd have a handicap match where I'd sickle one, sickle the other, pin them both, you know, in about 60 seconds. So yeah. Rocket was determined to build me like this monster Russian machine yeah. that was, unbeatable and uh you know which which it was part of the lead up to eventually the match against flair at the great american bash mm-hmm. uh only 13 months into the business um but some of the guys i was fortunate in those first 13 months to work with rock and roll express robert and ricky right ricky and robert you know um ricky the dragon steamboat dory funk jr legend to the mid-atlantic Johnny Weaver, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, uh, Black Jack Mulligan. I, I mean, yeah. you know, they they put me in the ring with, you know, some of the legendary guys yeah. who I feel very fortunate in that they all put me over, they, you know, one, two, three, right in the middle of the ring, you know, most, most of the time. Yeah. Twilight of their career, but but saw, I guess, you know, an up-and-coming rising star and, and were willing to – you know, I broke out of Johnny Weaver's famous sleeper hold. You know, I mean, you know, some some big deal. You know, very yeah. funk junior. I mean, you know, that is, yeah, that is amazing. I just, I can't believe that you were only in the business a year and you were at the Great American Bat. I mean, that's just amazing because it takes, like I said, guys, ten years, years, yeah, years, years sometimes, years and years. Yeah. So it just tells me your work ethic too, that you, you really wanted it. And boy, I, I know a lot of us out here appreciated it. I know. Well, I- and, yeah. And I, do, I appreciate that, Brian. And, and to that note, you know, when I, when I broke in, I, I, I let Ivan and Don know from day one, you know, that 
for me, it was, you know, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a wrestler. So, so, you know, a door, as you met, a door of opportunity opened up. Yes, I got a phone call, but a door of opportunity opened up and I thought, okay, you know, if I'm going to like anything I've ever done and we can talk about all this, certainly, and we, I'm sure we will, but like anything I've ever done. Well, I, let me give you one quick backstory on, on, on Darso, on, you know, who was Crusher Khrushchev, right? He, he's in Louisiana, kind of doing a similar thing as Kernodal in the Mid-Atlantic. He's a turncoat, sympathize, Russian sympathizer with Nikolai Volkov, okay? okay, down in the Mid-South. When we brought him into the Mid-Atlantic to be our third partner, he, you know, and I went to high school with Barry, right? So we played football together. Yeah. And, and he told me this story. He goes, man, he goes, we, we were hearing rumors down in, in the Mid-South that Crockett brought in this shoot Russian up, you know, up and couldn't speak any English, you know, and but he was a shooter. And he goes, and then I find out down the road, it's you. And I'm like, man, I should have known it was you, dude, because he knew my work ethic from football in high school. Yeah. But Brian, my, my mindset is you play like you practice. Yep. So my teammates hated me in high school. They're like, dude, it's practice. Lighten up. <laughs> you know? and I'm like, yeah. you play like you practice, you know? Right. So I'm a all guy. So yeah. I broke into wrestling. I put my mindset to it. I treated it like a business, and, 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 which is which is part of the reason I think I had, you know, the success and that I had in my career. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. So travel experiences, is there any one time when you were traveling with wrestlers, maybe Ivan and Don, you talked about a little bit about that, but is there anything in particular that really sticks out in your memory that you learned something or became aware of something that you can remember? Well, and, and again, I guess in the early days, of course, like I mentioned, you know, learning, learning the, and, and I say, and I emphasize old school psychology of wrestling. Yeah. Um, an art. There was a real for your list. There was a real art to the business back then. Mm-hmm. That, that's not there now, and that's I'm not say, meaning in any derogatory way. Yeah. It's just it's been removed. That that's that that part of the business has been removed from from the the, the talent mm-hmm. uh, and put into the hands of others. Okay. Um, but thinking back, I mean. I had a lot of, me- I mean, we, there were memorable trips. I mean, a lot of times it was Ivan, Don, and I normally early on. It was Ivan, Crusher, and I. And then eventually uh, I see the light and I become, you know, a fan favorite, good guy. And, and then Dusty and I, you know, the Tower Power, too sweet to be sour, if you will. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah, everybody loves to imitate Dusty, right? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> the, the, my super, hey, my super power, if you will. <laughs> Hold on, baby, get y'all. But anyway, um, <laughs> Dusty, and I, Dusty and I traveled, for, you know, exclusively for a couple of years, uh, quite a bit, just him and I. Yeah. Um, uh, at one point, believe it or not, in, in a car, it was myself, Sting, Lex Luger, and Road Warrior Animal, if you can believe that, all four of us in a oh, car wow. on the road. You want to talk about some fun stories and some fun trips. Um and so there's a lot of different memories that I have there traveling with different guys. I mean, Rick Steamboat and I traveled for a while together. I mean, you know, so uh, there's just a lot of memories there, yeah. but some of the guys I traveled with. Okay. 
Well, that's great. I mean, that's, you know, I knew about Dusty and, and, uh, you know, I listened to your podcast with Sting and that was pretty, that was very interesting when you did that a few weeks back. Um, great man, uh, been through a lot in the early in his career, but you know, just a wonderful, sounds like a wonderful person. Yeah. And, and, and Steve is, and, and, uh, and I encourage your listeners out there and I know we'll talk about it in the end, but, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the podcast, but mm-hmm. so many, there's so many, you know, his, his interviews, we did a two part with him. Luger's yep. on there, did an interview with Lex, uh, a, a, a modern day guy, Jackson Riker, um, WWE guy. I think he's on, I think currently now on raw, I think on Monday nights, the bodyguard or something like that. Um, Jackson, you know, did a, a, he's, he's on the podcast and, and, and many other fascinating stories. I, I won't, I won't get ahead of ourselves here, okay. but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> oh, this is great. I appreciate it. Um, chemistry with wrestlers. Who do you, in your mind, and if it isn't, so that's fine. Who did you have the most chemistry with that you, that you wrestled against? Um, gosh, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. Yeah. And, and when I think back on it, I mean, I feel like now some of these guys may have a different opinion, Brian, baby. Right. <laughs> based, on you, based on you interviewing them in my <laughs> mind, just for the record, in my mind, the majority of guys I worked with, I felt like I had pretty decent matches with oh, yeah. all everybody I worked with. Yeah. I, I, not hundred percent right with a, a good majority of guys. But to narrow it down, um, probably the most talked about match or matches is the best of seven series with Magnum TA. Yeah. And Terry and I, I feel, just had such an incredible, such incredible chemistry together. And we weren't the best of friends. We were just, we were just business peers early on, the best of friends now. But in those days, but but he got it. He understood my style, mm-hmm. understood his style, yeah. and we both agreed that we were our match, regardless of anyone else's, was going to be believable to the crowd. Yeah. So we agreed that we could lay it in on each other, and and you know, we weren't going to try to hurt each other. You know right. that was goal, but it was going to look believable. It did. And, had fans come back and say to me over all, all the years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember one quote one time. They're like, man, we I used to watch your matches with against Magnum. I'd walk out of the arena that night and go, I don't know about any of those other matches, but that match with Nikita and Magnum was real, you know. And that was our goal. Yeah. Um, so right at the very top, Magnum, I mean, I thought we had good chemistry with the Road Warriors. Uh, I, I felt like I had good chemistry with Rick, yeah. you know, with um, Steamboat. Now, to some of those cre- guys' credit, right? Flair, Steamboat, some of the others. I mean, they were such consummate professionals mm-hmm. that they're the ones who made me look good. It wasn't so much as much my ability, truthfully, as much as their ability to make me look good. Yeah. I would say for me, your matches with Magnum were my all-time favorites of, of, of yours when you wrestled and Ric Flair um, when you did the great American bash, when you had a title defense with, with, with him at, 
You yeah. made it look very believable. I will, I will say that. I mean, I thought, yeah, they just I well, mean, hey, hey, Brian, so much so, and fans can go back and watch this on YouTube if they hadn't seen it. So believable that that first American Bash in 1985 was the first of six times I'd have a fan come over the barricade, come after me, come in the ring after me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And that one's on film. The the you'll see the guy coming. He he actually got that. It had never happened before, so I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And he actually got in the ring, got his hands on me, and and and, and the cops took a minute. They're, they're like, oh, it must be part of the show. And then they figured out, oh no, this guy's not a part of the show. <laughs> you'll see them come in like the Keystone cops get him out. And yeah. but that's the first of six times when you want to talk about believability of my matches. Yeah. Wow. That's uh I don't remember seeing that, but I'm gonna go back and look now when we sometime soon. Being a member of the Russians, what was that? I mean, did you enjoy that so much? And that was just uh you know, with with uh you know Barry Darso and Ivan. Uh was it was there just always just that friendship there and, and being with those guys all the time was that just how was that? I mean, how was that for you? Yeah, yeah, and 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 so if people to reflect back 1984, 1985, 1986, it was still virtually the Cold War era, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and so people again back to the believability part, I, I guess to my credit, <laughs> and people coming in the ring after me, we, I mean, we. We were not well liked uh, for uh, to to our credit, right? Yeah, and, right. and it was what we intended. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there were even at times death threats to the office, like if the cool off show up in Charleston, we're going to kill him. You know, like for real. Um, and so, but, but I, that didn't honestly it didn't really bother me because my because my mind, you know, I was in, I had I was in a certain mindset, right? That okay, I am. This is who I am. You know, and my persona, and and how I'm. This is how I'm going to project it. So, you know, I projected it as you know one of the baddest of the bad, and and was friendly to fans. And now I, it, I don't ever recall signing an autograph during those early uh, heel days when you know as as a bag ever, and <laughs> made made fans even mad more mad, right? Um, and, and and would toy with them with Ivan and stuff. You know, throw I throw a few. You're like Uncle Ivan, yeah, you could be Chetrakatan Amerikanski, and I laugh, and then and then they go, I, Ivan, what did he say? What did he say? Ivan would go, Oh, you don't want to know, you don't want to know. So it was like you know, like I was making fun of Americans or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was fun. It, it was, I think, back on it, it, it was a lot of fun. Did you ever have to, you know, when you were out and not? In a in a town or whatever, if you were in a town, did you ever have to disguise yourself? I guess is the best way to describe it, so people wouldn't come up to you or try to or threaten you or anything like that. Well, it's kind of. I mean, wrestling was so huge in 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 the Carolinas in the Mid Atlantic uh, that even there were times, like for real, there were times we might be driving through a town as you're asking, or even down the interstate, believe it or not, 
you know, people look over and see three bald guys in a car, which was not very, very common back then. Yeah. Bald, you know, I like your barber, by the way, but bald, <laughs> bald was not in vogue. I mean, for your old school folks, there was Telly Savalas and, and Yul Brenner, and then yeah. there was the pull-offs, you know? Um, right. <laughs> and, and so to see three bald guys in a car driving down through a town or down an interstate, it was not uncommon to be recognized. And I kid you not, I mean, we would see people hang quick U-turns and come up alongside us and whether they were, you know, yelling, screaming at us or trying to get, you know, whatever, that was not uncommon. So, yeah, in fact, the car I drove, I had this big 76 Fleetwood Cadillac, right? The biggest Cadillac you could buy in the day. I had the windows so dark it looked like a limousine, you know, just uh, uh, just just for protection, like for real. So they wouldn't know who was in the car, just oh, wow. for, yeah, yeah, for real. Wow, see, learn something new. That's great. <laughs> Big card events. You talked about the Great American Bash, uh, you, Starcade. What were those events like for you? Was nerves? preparing for it you know it's a lot different today i know because a lot of stuff is more written out form and stuff where if i'm correct here back in the day whoever the booker was or whoever the event main event guy might come up and say hey this is what we're gonna do uh was there any i guess what was it like for you to be in those cars especially in your first year or two when you were so big well yeah again Really, another great question. I, I I'll draw a parallel for your listeners versus the product today of the product back then. Okay, I alluded to it earlier in in our conversation, but I'll be more specific now. Um, you are correct. They essentially there are. Remember, I was talking about um, our 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 ability to go in the brain. That that essentially we had more creative control. Let me just say that. Right. We, we had more creative well we had all almost all creative control we, we were we were given we were given given an outcome hey here's the outcome like if I'm wrestling Rick Flair for like there were many times I wrestled Flair for 45 50 sometimes an hour draw an hour Broadway um you're, you're I, I, I'm not smart enough to memorize an hour match okay I'm just not that guy uh, which I'm thankful I didn't have to work in today's era okay? right. by that mean, the, the way I understand today, they're they, right. The whole match is scripted out by a writer. The whole interview basically is scripted out yeah. by a writer. And then they go out and perform, right? And they're great performers today. But in those days, for your listeners, if I'm wrestling flair for an hour and I'm given a five-minute finish, a five-minute outcome, that means there's 55 minutes of match that we have to improv. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we're a lot of the buildings we were in, there was no, we we're on separate ends of the building. So there's no communicate. There's no getting together to talk about the match, nor did we do it prior to getting to the town. We show up, be given, be given the outcome. And then we had, we would go in the ring and spontaneously tell a story basically improv a story on the fly in the ring. Okay. That's remember I said the art of the business. Yes. 
That was the art of the business, having the mind and understanding the psychology of wrestling to be able to go in and dictate a story to you, the fan, that would make sense and lead into the outcome and for you guys to, to buy into it. And, and when people go back, they tell me all the time, they go back and they even look at fan reaction back in those days versus now. Yeah. Completely different, right, Brian? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid watching you or on TV, you know, now when I watch it, when I do watch it, I don't get out of my seat very, very rarely. When I was watching in that era, I was up and I was pounding my fists or yelling at the television or something like that because I couldn't stand you <laughs> as the performer. Thank you. Thank you. And I always, you'd always get the upper hand at the end and it would just make me so mad uh, that, <laughs> yeah, and that is today because you're right. Everything is, is pretty much written out from what I understand as well. And it, it's kind of, it's a lost art now. I don't think they it have is. the ability to think on their feet like you guys did in your era, even in the nineties no, up until about probably 10, 15 years ago, I think there was a lot more, like you said, creative control outcomes of matches. You got the outcome, but they had the ability to make the match. And now it's all from start to finish, pretty much written out for them. And, and, and yeah. And, and even on one step further, because I, you know, I just, just kind of jog, jogging my memory here as we're talking about history, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes now, obviously, you asked me about Starcade, and, and I didn't really address that, but Starcade, uh, um, Great American Bash, and some of these bigger matches, especially early on, I, I would be a, I would be amiss uh, to not say there wasn't butterflies there yeah. for sure. I, I mean, for sure. I mean, thirteen months in the business, I'm going into the ring in front of twenty five, thirty, thirty five, however many thousand in, in Memorial Stadium wrestling the. Heavyweight champ, the, the champion of the world, Ric Flair, right? Boy, for the first time ever, by the way. Yeah. And, and so I, I have no, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm like, whoa, you talk about being jacked up, right? Yeah. Uh, and then even later, even some of the other big matches, Starcade, you know, a year later or whatever. Um, so yeah, there was definitely nerves there. But I will say this as well when it wasn't maybe a major match like that, sometimes we get to the building and they would simply say, uh, you know, want Nikita to go over. That was it. And then we even had creative control to figure out how we wanted to do that. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, especially if the promoter or the booker, you know, trusted you and, and, and knew, you know, you weren't going to try and, you know, screw a guy over or, or whatever. Yeah. So we had that level of creative control uh, which taking again, taking nothing away from the, the performer's abilities uh, hmm. present day, but you nailed it on the head. It's a lost art, I feel, a very lost art. Couldn't agree more with you. Um, like I said, I don't watch it nearly as much as I used to. Um, but when I do, uh, it, it is a lot different from, you know, even 20 years ago, 15. I think it's, you know, we need to get back to that. I don't know if it ever will. I hope it does. It probably yeah. I, I I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know that that they can. I I, I it'd be great if they did. Mm-hmm. Now 
to 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 Billy Corgan's credit, when I went down, you know, and did a a, a spot for them uh, on WA Power, um, introducing their reintroducing the world TV title that I held uh, or whatever, I, he didn't say a word to me. He didn't. He just said, "You you got an interview. Here's what you is." He didn't say what to say. He didn't say how long. He he didn't tell me how long to talk. I mean, I had I had again. 100% creative control to go out there, say whatever I want to say, talk as, I mean, I, I wouldn't get to talk for an hour, but you understand right. what I'm saying. He didn't say, you got 45 seconds, go out and, you know, nail it. He just okay. said, here's your interview, you know, go out, go out and do what you do best. And, and so that's what I did, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway. So I enjoy yep. that show when it was on YouTube when they had come out. And also, yes. I went to NWA 70 in Nashville a few years back. Yeah, yeah. And I met Dory Funk Jr. I met Magnum TA. Okay. Uh, and just a great experience. Took my wife. Uh, we went to Nashville for the weekend from Kansas City here and just had a great time at that event there with that that card. The card was great. It, it crowned the national champion again, which was uh, – oh, I don't remember the guy's name now, unfortunately. I'm sorry. But uh, – uh, Willie Mack, Willie Mack. It was he got crowned the national champion, and Magnum gave him the title in the in the ring, and it was awesome. It was great. It was a great experience. Actually, sat by Billy Corgan for a little bit. He came over where we were sitting and sat there for a little bit. So that was nice. Um, yeah. Well, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful if we get past all this crazy stuff uh, at some mm-hmm. point that that Corgan could get that cranked back up again. When I yeah. went down there. You know, we were, we were at 14th and Techwood, the studio they were shooting it in. It was only four blocks from where I did, where we used to do TBS um, okay. in Techwood. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I walked in, man, it was like deja vu. You know, it was, uh, it was a larger studio, but nevertheless, I, I was like enamored. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this brings back so many memories. I was taking, I was taking photos like a fan, you know. I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. So, That's yeah, cool. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, I can – Crank that back up one of these days. I hope so too. I really do. Yep. I, I think yep. Nick Aldis, he's a great athlete as well. Yeah. Yep. I really enjoy his work and uh yep. absolutely hopefully they can get back to it on TV. So I want to talk about you worked for the NWA quite a bit, but you also worked in the AWA for a while. What was the difference and how did you working with those promotions? Same worse better uh different branches obviously but yeah i'd just like to know how you worked with them awa well the awa um you know my my uh my agreement with them was and to, to back up the awa Vern, when he's kind of on his last legs was doing we were doing some co-promotions with him mm-hmm. we just chose in the middle lands people see every now and then things flying around where where bachwinkle was Nick Bockwinkel was wrestling the heavyweight title and flair for the AWA and Rick was wrestling the NWA title, you know, against somebody, you know, in the metal lines, their world tag team champions our world. So we're doing a lot of co-promotions. Yeah. And, and so my, my stint with the AWA was more of, I won't say on loan from the NWA. Cause again, I had, I had creative control. So I had control of my career, but as a favor to Vern, you know, I went in and did a few shows, especially especially TV shows, mm-hmm. uh, a few matches against their champion at the time. You know, Larry Zabisco yep. uh, calls himself the living – he's the living legend in his own mind, you know. 
Larry, if you're listening, hey, anyway. Um, I had a few matches against Larry, mainly to try to help them stay afloat. Not not so much because I was looking at winning the title or, or, you know, making a career with the AWA. So that was mainly my appearances with the AWA. Yeah. Did you, one quick question. You know, you never won a world singles heavyweight title. Do you, in the back of your mind, wish you would have? I mean, you, you're very successful, obviously. I mean, the NWA, I thought you were going to, for sure, with Rick. Uh, yeah. You know, in the AWA with Larry. Uh, I just, have you ever thought, man, I just wish I could have had it just for, I don't know, a week or something. And then, like, I even won it in 1970 or 71, I think it was. And he won yep. it for a month. But he's a world champion. And he could say that. Yep, yep. And they, they, they actually, uh, the intention was for him to have it longer, but, uh, and, and I don't know who pulled the trigger on that. Uh, I think he dropped it to Pedro Morales sure. after he beat legendary Bruno. Uh, the answer to your question, um, no regrets. And, and probably one of the few, for real, who turned the NWA World Heavyweight title down twice. Oh, wow. Not once, but twice. Um, uh, for those who know the story, you know, I had a, I had a late wife that, that battled cancer mm-hmm. uh, for two years, uh, actually took a hiatus, took a step away from, from the main event, you know, in the prime of, as a main event wrestler, walked away sabbatical, if you will, to uh, to address that, to take care of her as a priority, to take care of her uh, up until the time of her death at age 26. And then probably a week later, Rick invited me down to his house he had the book at the time. He had the belt at the time and offered me the world heavyweight title. And I respectfully declined. Um, Called me maybe, a, maybe a few weeks later, I think the exact time frame. Yeah. Off to me a second time. Uh, uh, I was humbly, you know, I would thank you, Rick. Thank you, but no, thank you. Um, don't tell that story too often, but, but it, it, it they are, they are facts. Um, and, uh, Probably some would look at that and go, you are crazy to not, you know, uh, even for a week or like you're saying. But, um, yeah, I just uh, had no, so so therefore have no regret for not having it. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps I'm one of the few guys, if maybe not the only guy that could say I turned it down twice. Yeah. Well, I know back then his schedule, from what I've read, is was just brutal. I mean, it he was. was. He was on the road every All over the world. Night. Yeah every night twice on sunday sometimes uh, i've read and yep that's that schedule will be brutal on any person yep and so yeah and brian there's a lot of there's back in those days you know it wasn't like now they changed the title in in you know in 60 seconds on a show i mean yeah. you know I, I mean there was a lot i feel much more respect for that title back then mm-hmm. much more respect who, for whoever was the champion and and honestly a lot of weight on the shoulders of, of the one who had it mm-hmm. expected of you. Look, you were expected to draw, draw a crowd. You, yeah. you were expected to fill an arena if you had the world belt mm-hmm. and if you didn't. I mean, you could, the, the promotion would poo poo on that pretty quick, you know, yeah. you probably weren't going to have it very long. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the main reason I said no right. at all, but I did know the pressure uh, that came with having that that belt back then. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, that's an interesting fact I did not know about. So I've definitely learned a lot today. I want to ask you one more thing. Uh, What are you doing now? We're talking a little bit earlier about your, your podcast, but I know you're doing a lot of other things. So if you want to go into that some in your book you talked about, that'd be great. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I want to transition this way. So, I mean, there, you know, the, the wrestling career, I look back on, you know, very fondly for all the things, uh, you know, I was able to do and accomplish and certainly all the guys I had the privilege of, of being in the ring with and, and, um, Many, many of the matches, you know, some of the legendary, ma- some of the very creative ideas of Dusty, um, you know, war games and, and and many others, right? From Russian chain matches to cage matches to, to barbed wire matches to bull rope matches. I mean, uh, I had some crazy ones, right? Yes, yes. So a lot of very fond memories and, and how I transitioned from the career to what I'm doing now is to say as unusual a story as it is that how I got into wrestling. I made a decision at age 33, which most, again, people think, well, that's crazy. You turn the belt down, you're crazy. You know, you walked away at 33. In fact, Luger is on record of saying when he heard I I chose to walk away, he goes, that guy's lost his mind. Was he an idiot? I mean, like, (laughs) he's real, like I said that. Because people have to understand, we went from, from being paid by how many people we put in the seats, essentially, uh, especially those early days, mm-hmm. and, and only making, you might say, thousands to, to the explosion of pay-per-view and guys making millions and millions of dollars, right? Right. And, and I walked away from that, Brian. Yeah. I walked away from multiple millions of dollars of contracts uh, by choice yeah. under my own terms and at the age 33. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't because of injury. It was because of my own goals. I I wanted to leave on top of the business essentially as a champion or, or have been remembered as a champion. Okay. Yeah. So for your listeners to understand that little did I know, like many things in my life, let's just like, I wasn't looking at becoming a pro wrestler. I wasn't looking for this to happen either, but 11 months after departure from the ring, I found myself at an altar in a church, um, surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And, and just like I didn't grow up in Russia, I didn't grow up in church, but I, I, I knew the story. I, you know, like many, I heard the story of the man, Jesus, who, you know, lived and was crucified and, you know, spikes driven through his hands and feet and the spirit through his side and, and, and rose again three days later. I knew the story in my head mm-hmm. that, that story, however, had never made the 18 inch trip from my head down to my heart. But on the 17th of October, 1993, it did make that trip. I went to the altar, got on my knees, you know, confessed and accepted Jesus into my life. I encountered the man Jesus that day. And Brian, life has never been the same since. It just hasn't been. That encounter changed me forever. And it changed the whole course of what I would do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Fast forward all these years later, kind of give you a little more condensed version of this story. I now, since that decision, have traveled to a total of 30 countries. Wow. I've been to all 50 states. I have preached and ministered in 28 different denominations. Oh, wow. 
I, I have uh, I have been a part of of, of uh, different men's ministries now since 2006. In fact, uh, Lex Luger and I co-facilitate a camp for men. Mm-hmm. Like send an invitation to you sometime to come called Man Camp. Okay. And we do them in northern Georgia. We bring small groups of men in. Your listeners can go to mancamp.info, I-N-F-O, okay. and, and check out check us out, mancamp.info. Okay. And um, we do one in the spring, one in the fall. We'll do our next one in April here of 2021. And and already have guys from five or six different states already registered. Oh, wow. Wonderful. And Yeah. And so I'm very passionate about ministering to men. So is Lex. I do a one-day conference called Man Up. Okay. Man up conference. Man up. And as you know, the podcast is called It's Time to, to Man Up. And so, you know, if I encourage your listeners, go on all the all the platforms, yep. uh, you know, iTunes, you know, iHeart, all look for look for the Man Up podcast. Yep. Um, go on the website, check out the the Man Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you have pastors or people in ministry listening to your show that would want to bring the Man Up Conference in on a weekend, go to koloff.net, koloff.net. In fact, you're the first to know this. That's a brand new website we just launched as okay. of today. Well, brand there you go. Okay. And then and then real quick, um, I mean, I'm, all, I'm on all the social media platforms, Nikita yeah. Koloff with the, with the numeral one behind it. That's the real me. Facebook. Um, look for me in a river. Uh, in that river, you'll see Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, myself, and another wrestler. That's actually the Jordan River in Israel. Oh wow! Yep, and we were taking turns baptizing each other in the Jordan River in Israel. Amazing, amazing. Um, and last but not least, um, books. Yeah, let's so, talk about three. books. Yeah, I've written three. I'm I'm working on a fourth one. Okay. Uh, and and but uh, the last one. Especially if people want to know the full story of Nikita Koloff, go get Nikita: A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. Um, that one is is what I call inspirational. All right, motivational one that folks would want to get is Nikita. Uh, excuse me, uh, wrestling with success, developing a championship mentality. Both of those are available on Nikita, or excuse me, on Koloff.net. Right in my store. All right. Well, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to make sure that those get on uh, under the description of the podcast. I'll put all your, I've got your social media platforms and I also have your, uh, I had co-off.nikitacoff.com, but I will add the co-off.net and I'll make sure that that gets on there for you. Cause you know, I was saved uh, 18 years ago. Yeah. 18 years ago, Easter Sunday at a missionary okay. Baptist church. Uh, my wife and I were at the, this, my second marriage and my wife and I were just dating at the time. And she took me to these church and, you know, that's Easter Sunday. I had the feeling and I was saved. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it hasn't been the same since it's been a wonderful life. I'm very blessed and very fortunate. My wife is a beautiful person. We have four children and yeah, we're very blessed. So, I no, that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I appreciate you sharing a little of your story because, you know, I, and for your listeners out there, uh, you know, I, I know we just got a few minutes left, but I, I want to, you know, I want to say this too. Uh, 
in on note in on note of that. And, and let me mention you mentioned the key to koloff.com. It's kind of, that's that's my my old old site. So yep. koloff.net is is now the new one, right? right. But um <laughs> yeah, for all your listeners. Um but what's interesting too is you know, even hearing just a little bit of your story, one of the things I encourage, you know, men of uh, with their 18 years or older and considering the man camp is our goal, Brian, our goal is no matter how healthy a man feels he is now, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, even and or spiritually, right? That mm-hmm. our goal now when God gave us this vision for this camp was for the, for the men who commit themselves and come is, is to send them back home even better equipped and healthier mm-hmm. than they currently are in all those aspects of life and to equip them mm-hmm. even even better than they are in terms of a, god, a godly husband, a godly father like yourself, uh, just a man of God in general. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to say we want to send men, we want to see men whole, whole, whole men live holy lives, wholly available unto the Lord and just fulfilling their destiny. Yep. And so to hear you know, your encounter and to know that, you know, your life was changed, uh, just, just thrills me. I, and you know, I, that's awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And again, I, I know we're about going to wrap it up here. I really appreciate your time tonight coming on here and, and telling your story and your experiences. And I just want to say thank you so much and we appreciate it. And uh, the listeners out there go to calloff.net Go on to social media platforms and you'll learn a lot. And uh, thank you again, Mr. Koloff. I really do appreciate it, sir. I, I, I appreciate it. And hopefully uh, we'll get an opportunity to meet face to face here sometime, perhaps down the road and indoors to some of your listeners. And, and let me just say this to all your listeners. Hey, listen up. You better tune in every time to bumps and thumps. Or the Russian nightmare Nikita Kolov will be looking for you. Thank you, Mr. Kolov. Enjoy the rest (laughs) of your evening. And to our podcast listeners, please, again, go to koloff.net. Look at those platforms. Enjoy those books. And thank you again, Mr. Kolov. Thank you, Brian. God bless you. Bless all your listeners out there. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you for your, sir. I appreciate it. All right. And that's it for this episode. Thank you.